0: essential npcs the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop rpgs i'm Addie, and i'm tommy and you're listening to series 9 episode 13 pride and prowess and we don't have any announcements for you today so we're gonna jump right on in to words with a gm hello hello gm hello this words with a gm hello is about series 9 episode 12 rags and riches
1: In this episode, we get a glimpse at just how useful it can be to have a talented tinkerer on hand. Just think about how incredibly hard it would have been for the players to have gotten past Duncan Furter without the bonuses from Giles' Digi disguise. Let's also take a moment to appreciate just how quickly he whipped that gadget up. It only took him one roll and three days to make it. The crafting system in Manifest is extensive and very rewarding. Every item on Manifest that isn't considered a general good has what's called a crafting code associated with it. This code is a shorthand description of what materials are required to craft an item. In order to start crafting an item, you need to have first collected all of the necessary materials to make it. This represents you repurposing a portion of the required materials into the tools necessary to create the item. In fact, many items on Manifest use the tools required to craft them as actual components upon completion. The crafting code of an item also lets you know the item's crafting class. The crafting class determines how many successes you need to roll to complete the item. Every time you roll to craft an item, it takes you a certain amount of in-game time as determined by the item's class. The higher the crafting class, the more time-consuming it's going to be to create it. Now, you can reduce the number of successes needed to create an item and the amount of in-game time spent per roll by choosing to cut corners when you start crafting. Though if you cut corners, you're guaranteeing that you're going to make a lower-quality item. Every item on Manifest has a quality rating, and an item's quality has minor effects on the item's usefulness. A low-quality pistol is probably going to have less power than a standard-quality pistol, and a high-quality pistol is going to be more reliable. As you can imagine, being an effective crafter in Manifest requires a decent understanding of some pretty unique rules, and there's no doubt that the crafting system is probably one of the crunchiest parts of this game. However, the players that take the time to familiarize themselves with the crafting mechanics can really dig into it and become a real asset for their posse. You can find almost any item in the book for purchase in the various markets and shops around Manifest, but you'll quickly realize that the cost of the materials needed to create an item is always significantly lower than the cost of the item itself. Players who follow the path of the peddler inevitably manage to find the items with the biggest profit margin to craft and sell from town to town. And players who follow the path of the scavenger will have a great time breaking down the items your posse doesn't need into a portion of their original crafting materials for use later. And for those GMs and players that are less interested in Manifest's crafting system, it's very easy to minimize its involvement in your game. A GM could simply have all the items operate at standard quality, and the players could choose characters that don't invest in the crafting skills and talents. That's one of the great things about Manifest, its versatility. It's a game that includes strictly narrative elements as well as more crunchy mechanics, but it's designed in a way that players and GMs can tailor their games and characters to engage with the parts of the system that most appeal to them. But for those that do choose to wield the crafting system to its full potential, you'll quickly find yourself thinking and acting like a true denizen of Manifest, turning the stuff you find into other, more useful stuff.
0: I know that I've played a couple of crafting characters and really enjoyed creating a lot of the specialty items and armor and ammo and all that kind of stuff, as well as some of the general goods for use in some creative endeavors. Uh, one of my favorite tricks as a crafter has been the flashback mechanic that we have, uh, where I will ha- I'll spend a bunch of grit uh, to flashback to have created the item I need. So we've used it from everything for, I need to create a bucket to, I need to create a car and everything in between. And uh, it's led to some really raucous times. But enough about crafting. Uh, There's so much we could cover. So we'll just stop here. And instead, I want to know what your favorite part was. My
1: favorite part had to have been when the series of events that took place in the clubhouse of the court elite kind of reached ahead and uh you guys had fiddleworth and adams kind of bickering and distracted and then clayton spills a drink and makes an even bigger distraction and then just moments later Juliet finishes riling up nightingale and and tricks him into knocking over the poker table to make an even bigger distraction and all through that roy just kind of glides through the room pickpocketing everyone's keys from them I loved that moment because it it almost felt like a scene from Ocean's Eleven, right? Where I could see it shot in that kind of style where... Uh, where you just kind of see Roy casually brush up behind these people who are like freaking out over whatever shenanigans are going on next to them. And those who have listened to the podcast a lot know my history with Shadowrun, and I just love it when a plan comes together and, (laughs) uh, and the players all kind of play their roles really well and execute their goal swiftly like that. It was really satisfying to watch. What about you? What was your favorite part?
0: Um, the jackalope races <laughs> and also of course, purple chrome,
1: purple chrome.
0: Uh, <laughs> I had a really good time with my Eliza Doolittle moment, um, of, uh, with Juliet and also just, it was really fun to see a type of animal racing that we hadn't seen before. Uh, it see, it, it was a really cool thing that I'd never seen on manifest and was really excited to be a, a part of.
1: Yeah. The best part for me when it comes to the jackalope race is that i found a kentucky derby horse name generator online and i've never been happier (laughs) (laughs) my my biggest regret was that i made a giant list of a lot of names and just you know didn't have a chance to say them all as guy finnegan (laughs) but you guys are still at the racetracks uh Tensions are high in the private viewing box and it's really up in the air whether or not you guys are going to complete this heist flawlessly. So I know I want to see what happens next. So without further ado, let's move on in and listen to Series 9, Episode 13, Pride and Prowess.
0: Enjoy.
2: Greetings. I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is Sugar, my auntie, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for her and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities grant me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bountied can't compete with thing about being eliminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsettling to most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Sugar are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty. Leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Sugar are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead, well, we can be ourselves and ain't nobody going to try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. Howdy, folks. Name's Roy Hampton.
3: Now I know what you're thinking. How did such a dashing young man come to be robbing you today? Well, you get to handing over your spurs, and I'll tell you what's what. I grew up in a factory town with my mamas Helen and Kate... Helen was a kind, quiet lady, kept her head down to raise me best as she could. But Mama Kate, she was the kind of woman who couldn't help but stand up for us, even when we weren't asking. In the city, there's two kinds of folks. The family, and people paying the family. And Mama Kate wasn't about to be either. Problem is, when you're standing up to a planetary crime syndicate, you and yours are liable to end up in the dirt. So when the Jimmies came to our home, My mama's held him off long enough for me to escape. After that, thieving wasn't a choice. It was survival. Now miss, you ain't gonna get to that holdout before I lose this arrow. Just sit tight, we're almost through. See, turns out I got a knack for this life. Key is to always have the advantage. Never pick a fair fight. Second trick is to rob folks that can afford to lose it. And there ain't nobody richer than the family. There was a time I was hitting the family so hard I was taking enough spurs to live like a king. Trouble is, family ain't inclined to let robbery of that magnitude slide. Hence the 800-spur bounty on my head. Now I know y'all are feeling a few spurs short, but look on the bright side. Next time you throw a fancy shindig, you can tell the story of the time you were robbed by Roy Hampton, legendary outlaw. Y'all have a nice
4: day now. Charles Farthing The pleasure's all mine-like As you might have guessed I come from money But I'm not above slumlet With the upper middle class I work a trade I'm a barber Clean cut Close shave Replace a limb or two At last once My speciality Prosthetics Bestest side of Iron Harbour And the other side Of Iron Harbour Also within the city limits of Iron i ha- Well, have a look My handiworks My pride and joy My left side The foreleg Arm My left eye No accident Improvements the human body's wonderful, but imperfect-like. We're at a point in history where it's our own flesh and blood holding us back. That's why I've made it my life's work, to develop the finest in form, function, and fashion. That's all on hold for the moment, though. First, I need to find and recover an item stolen from my own home at a recent exhibition. To steal from a man of my genius. The audacity. It's unforgivable. Ugh, Blather, what'll it be? I'll have you looking your best in no time. For my name isn't Giles Farthing, Which, it is... Charles, I just told you like
0: My name is Juliette Hunt And I've been a drifter nearly my whole life My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me Being that I was an orphan He took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him Passed on the craft Like a father to a daughter After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time Until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons. And we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, he ain't the most communicative individual. But I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right. And Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm going to find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble.
1: Last time we left our four drifters, they had targeted Anastasia Berwin Cornfoot, who has stolen something from Giles and is storing it in her private vault, which is secretly attached to her viewing box at the Addington Downs Premier Jackalope Racetrack. They had to navigate their way through the most wealthy of the social elite, an extremely exclusive social club known as the Core Delete. With some excellent disguises and a little bit of luck, they managed to cause enough of a ruckus and distraction in the clubhouse that Roy and Giles were able to sneak into Anastasia Berwin Cornfoot's private viewing box. During that uh, situation, Juliet moved to the bar of the clubhouse so as not to draw attention to herself. Clayton. Uh, was politely asked to leave after spilling just, you know, one too many drinks on everyone around. (laughs) So, uh, Clayton, you are outside the clubhouse. Juliet, you are at the uh, bar and uh, certain people are trying to, like, talk to you and talk about how Nightingale had no right to behave so crudely. He was uh, asked to leave as well so that he could cool off. Uh, So he's left the clubhouse as well. And Giles and Roy, you two are in the uh, private box and you're looking around. There's not an obvious other door in this room uh, besides the one that you just snuck through. And the last thing that was said, uh, Giles, was a not veiled at all threat from Roy, where he said, uh, if you didn't tell him what you guys were stealing, he was going to leave you here Uh, So that you can get caught red-handed.
5: Why don't I show you? And I'd like to use my uh, prosthetic eye and its keen sight to observe and try to find the secret art of this vault.
1: Go ahead and roll an observe test.
5: Two successes.
1: So you walk around, you look uh, around the desk, the uh, race below begins... Uh, You hear the voice of Guy Finnegan announcing it as it does. You continue uh, looking around, and uh, it doesn't take you extremely long to find that a large painted portrait of Sir Roscoe Berwin Cornfoot is on tracks and can slide upwards to reveal a slightly larger than normal door-sized vault. I'll open it. Are you try to but unfortunately uh it is in fact uh locked much like a safe and it looks like it triggers off of a combination so it is not so easily opened well this is embarrassing roy would you mind
3: listen i think i i think i've been a real good sport coming along on this caper and granted i've been trying to hit this here vault for god knows how long But you did warn Miss Cornfoot that we're coming to rob her, and this does stink of a trap, I say, as I use my Pinkerton talent. It's a matter of pride, Roy.
1: Uh, Go ahead and roll Observe.
3: Uh, Well, that's two hits on Observe. So my first question is, what's being
1: concealed here? The only thing truly being concealed from you at this moment is whatever Giles is trying to recover from Anastasia there's not anything hidden on the other side of that vault that isn't just you know the contents of that vault my second question is what's about to happen here what's about to happen is uh you're going to open that vault door and be just very disappointed with what Giles is after (laughs) (laughs) you can you can see it in his eye as he as he says it's a matter of pride Roy you know, privileged people, you know, that they are super detached from reality and what is of any true value. And this just has privileged, wealthy people games written all over it.
3: All right. I'll head over and pop this safe open and I'll look at Giles and I'll say, so what? I'm stealing back your rubber ducky then, huh?
1: Uh, Go ahead and roll a skullduggery test to break into this safe. Uh, It is a very secure safe. It's going to be a minus six.
3: Uh, I'm going to spend some grit to go it strong. I got four hits.
1: Yeah, so you casually say that, pull out your auto-picker, set it to the safe-cracking configuration, plant it on, on this thing, almost like kind of like a stethoscope mixed with some mechanical enhancements to help you very quickly work through the uh, possible combinations. And uh, it only takes you just a few seconds after, you're, after you ask that question for there to be a click, click, click as you and your auto-picker make short work of this extremely sophisticated lock. You pull it off, turn the hatch wheel and the vault door swings open and inside a almost like a very large walk-in closet sized vault there standing on an ornate rug surrounded by decadent paintings and tapestries and several uh, wall safe lock boxes is a case containing a beautiful ornate golden saber Its hilt is covered in brilliant jewels and the elegant sweeping blade is polished to a sheen so clear it reflects your face even from where you stand in the doorway.
5: There she is, Roy. Isn't she beautiful? And I walk forward, uh, push over the case and start to roll up the rug. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, The case clatters to the ground, the saber uh, uh, just kind of like rolling and and you watch as Giles like almost... Nonchalantly, kind of kicks that saber into the corner and starts rolling up that large ornate area rug.
3: Well, damn, Giles! At least take the saber. If you just take the rug, I mean, she, I, whatever. She already knows it's you. Where are these other keys go? Uh, we're getting <laughs> something out of this.
1: <laughs> As Giles rolls up the rug, you uh, kind of look around. You there's only a few safety lock boxes here. You fiddle with uh, Fiddleworth Adams and Nightingale's keys. And you manage to find their lockbox and open them up. And uh, as you're getting this uh, set up, uh, Clayton, um, you're kind of lingering outside the cord elite. You kind of swept uh, you swept around uh, as if you were going to go to the golf links, but you're kind of in the same area. The cord elite door uh, is at the center of the curve of this horseshoe shaped arena, and um, on the sixth floor where you are, it, uh, it's kind of like an open lobby area outside of where the the entrance to the court elite clubhouses, um, and there's several stairs um, and uh, a few very, very elegant uh, bars. and so you're kind of able to to be like lingering out there without drawing much attention to yourself. And you see a woman finely dressed with elegant, wavy, curled blonde hair and a flowing, lightweight fabric uh, dress with a slit up to uh, just above her knee. Uh, walking with purpose towards the uh, door of the court elite, uh, flanked by a couple militiamen, uh, and you see as Duncan Furter goes, "Lady Cornfoot, a pleasure," and she he pulls out a key, opens the door, and uh, lets her and the militiamen through. Uh, and and Juliet, you see as uh, uh, as the door opens up and uh, that woman and. Uh, the few and the couple militiamen walk in. At this point, the the scene has been kind of cleaned up. Uh, Fiddleworth and um, Adams are like in a side room, uh, uh, kind of bickering in hushed tones with each other. Uh, Nightingale is left, and they're kind of putting the poker room back to back together. And uh, Anastasia walks in, kind of soaks in like the very tail end of the aftermath, and uh, just like the smallest like smirk plays on her lips and she like kind of slightly shakes her head and says come on uh, to the militia men and they continue on their way towards the back door roy you have found the three lock boxes in nightingale's lockbox, there's a collection of gems jewels and spurs uh ranging uh, about 900 spurs in Adams's lockbox, you see he has a bunch of documents uh, depicting um, various illicit deals that he has going, and it catches your eye. He has quite a, a good amount of information uh, on the family operations in the Glenspire area, uh, particularly uh, a couple a couple leads on their uh, their weapons smuggling operations. Uh, And in Fiddleworth's, uh, it looks like it's a a family heirloom. It's some kind of ceremonial dagger with a with a polished like blue handle. Uh, Hard to say exactly what its purpose is. All right. Well,
3: I will certainly pocket those documents uh, regarding the family and I will shove as many of those spurs and gems into my secret pockets as can fit and have them still
1: function as secret pockets.
0: (laughs) Roy, Giles, it looks like they know you're here.
1: And as she says that, you hear the door to the private box open. And Giles, you've just finished rolling up this large ornate rug and you've propped it up to try and figure out how to carry it out of this vault. Roy, you are, are digging in like all fingers knuckles deep into like this stack of like gems and pearls and you're trying to stuff them into your vest. And you both kind of turn almost comically uh, and out as there's four militiamen and uh, a woman who you assume to be Anastasia Berwin Cornfoot uh standing there looking at you, uh having caught you by definition red-handed <laughs> in the middle of, of uh stealing from her vault. Anastasia Berwin Cornfoot, I presume. Uh she gives you a mocking curtsy, Giles, and she goes, Giles Farthing, uh I see you've tracked down your most prized possession. Yes, I believe I have something of mine uh
3: you know this seems like a personal matter between you two i'm just gonna get out of here and let let you you sort this whole thing out
1: uh she she raises her hand uh and the uh uh the militia man, like shoulder their rifles and point them at you and she goes not a step further hawthorne no certainly not she like is smart enough to know that you're definitely wearing a disguise, but you're not sure if she actually would know if she just hadn't, like, apparently planned this altercation. (laughs) Uh, And she turns back to Giles and goes, Everyone knows that Giles Farthing is the greatest technological mind of our generation. So sure that patent after patent is thrown your way without even a second thought. Your reputation has outgrown your talents. And as a result, more innovative minds have been made to live in the obscurity of your shadow. I've seen your designs up close, Farthing, and color me unimpressed. When I attended your little exhibition, the most impressive thing I saw was that rug in your sitting room. Uh, It really
5: ties the room together.
1: She smirks at that and goes, perhaps you should have uh, stuck with being a barber. Darling, I am a barber. Need a cut. And I
5: unsheath my cane sword and level it at her.
1: I thought you'd never ask. You see, Giles, uh, she says as she walks over towards uh, her wardrobe. Now that I've got your attention, all that needs to be done to put the Cornfoot name back on top is to cut you down a peg. And she opens up her wardrobe and pulls out a two-handed falchion. (laughs) Okay. And she doesn't, like, brandish it at you. Uh, She shoulders it, and she turns to uh, one of the militiamen. She goes, Sergeant, would you help me escort these two men to the roof of my racetrack? It seems we have a score to settle. One of the militiamen goes, both of them? Or do you want us to take the other one in? And she goes, no, no, no need to press charges. I have what I want here. And she gestures at uh, at the rug and goes, and it seems Mr. Farthing has what he wants. So we just have one more thing to sort out now, don't we? Hey, we do. The militia kind of stand down uh, and she goes, Mr. Not Hawthorne, I would appreciate it if you left the rest of those jewels where they lay.
5: Yeah,
3: fine. Totally understand it. I say as I leave the jewels and very covertly pocket as many spurs as I can, because she ain't said nothing about spurs. <laughs> <laughs> <They don't>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Have I ever heard them going to the roof?
5: As soon as we start to move, I'll telepath you.
2: Uh, I'm going to make my way up towards the roof.
1: Uh, Go ahead and roll skullduggery, Roy, to try and pocket some of those spurs without uh, without, uh, raising any alarm. Uh, The militiamen got an eight.
3: Well, it ain't my best work. I just got the one net success.
1: You managed to pocket like a good like ninety spurs, just like grabbing and and like putting the, your hands in your pockets <laughs> covertly, uh, and as they like move in and like usher you out, um, and and Giles, they go to guide you out, and a couple of the militiamen look at the rug standing next to you. Would you mind carrying that? They look over to Anastasia, and she goes, "You heard the man," <laughs> and the like the militiamen like kind of scowl, and then hoist this giant ornate rug up on their shoulders and start carrying it out. And uh, yeah, Juliet, you see as the uh, door to the poker room opens up and um, Anastasia holding a long two-handed curved blade, elegantly crafted shoulder to shoulder, walking out almost like friends uh, uh, with Giles, who is holding his cane sword. You now realize there's a sword inside that cane as they begin walking out. And Roy, not in shackles following behind them and then militia men uh, carrying a large ornate rolled up rug and as she, co- as she steps out everyone kind of looks and she goes Mr. Farthing has challenged me to a duel if anyone would like to join us on the rooftop should be quite the show
3: I just telepathically share my vision so that Clayton is filled in and send along with it this is why I rob rich folk <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, will I be able to make it up to where they're going before everyone else is up there?
1: Oh yeah, you have you have a pretty decent head start being in the lobby and everything. Uh, you'll get up there before them for sure by a decent measure. Many of the members of the court elite stand up excitingly and some of them refresh their drinks uh, and start tailing behind Giles and Anastasia. Uh,
0: peas and carrots, peas and carrots, dual peas and carrots, peas and carrots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Juliet, is that you kind of like walking along in the crowd? Oh yes, a
0: duel's very exciting. I've never seen one in real life. This is just the most exciting day I've ever had. I am walking with the crowd and commenting nonchalantly about how great this is.
1: As Giles, you and Anastasia lead uh, an ever growing crowd. It's like as they leave the court elite, they tell the people in the lobby, the crowd begins growing more and more, word begins to spread. It's perfectly timed, too. One of the races just ended. Everyone's due for some extra, uh, for some different entertainment. And uh, 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 Clayton, you get up there before all the rest of them. um, And you see, uh, actually, Uh, It looks like the golf course uh, doesn't have anyone golfing on it right now. And there's a couple militia men uh, and a a few uh, spectators uh, in fancy clothes around the right right age for Anastasia. You think it might be some of her friends uh, standing around the eighth hole. I will wait
2: here for the crowd to come. I'm watching curiously.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's uh, only a good 30 to 45 seconds behind you, uh, Giles and Anastasia followed by just a bunch of excited, noble men and women who all just seem like this is good fun. Follow them along. Uh, and you're able to, uh, jump into the crowd or have a word with Giles, whatever you're, whatever you're wanting to do. Uh, there's still, uh, a decent walk from where you're standing to, uh, uh, to the place on the golf course where, uh, where this duel is about to happen.
2: Well, I'll, uh, I'll meet up with Giles and, uh, hey,
5: what's going on? Shouldn't be but a couple minutes, uh, a duel of pride, like, uh, in the odd event. I lose, though, uh, have Pepe pay you. He owes me. Where's your piece? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nothing as barbaric as that. We fight with pointy sticks. (laughs) And that's less barbaric? Yeah, not everything makes sense.
2: (laughs) I'll shake his hand. Save or telepathy? You need any help?
5: If I do, I'd let you know.
1: Appreciate it. All right. Good luck. And so you all follow Giles and Anastasia onto the golf course, uh, and the crowd makes a large circle around the area, and Anastasia and Giles stand in the middle. And uh, she looks to you and says, I've been waiting for this moment since I first saw your smug face acting like the world owed you something. Just because you were lucky enough to be noticed as a brilliant mind doesn't mean you're the only one. If
5: it's any consolation, I agree. Sometimes taking credit can be, uh, unnecessary-like. But that doesn't excuse you coming into my estate and taking what's mine. I demand satisfaction.
1: As do I. And, uh, she steps back. Assumes a fighting stance, curving this large curved sword uh, above her head, um, one hand outstretched.
5: I politely salute holding my sword vertical in front of me and take a fencer stance.
3: Uh, I will nudge one of the guards next to me, one of these militiamen, and I'll say, uh, hey, which of these geniuses you think is going to stab the other first?
1: (laughs) 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 To ingratiate yourself to this guard so that he doesn't just like elbow check you, you can roll manipulate. To the blood, no touching of the hair or face. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the duel uh, the duel commences. Uh, let's let's really quick, Giles. You and I roll initiative. Five. She got seven initiative, so she will strike first at you. Right after you say "to the blood," she nods uh, at your salute and then uh, steps in and grabs her falchion with both hands and takes a sweep at your waist. So go ahead and roll a defense test and Roy, what did you get on your manipulate?
3: Uh, I got three successes on that. My high is an 11.
1: She got a 10, Giles. Uh, I will use a
5: grit to make my own luck. Try one more die. It's a 2. That's not much more help. Uh, sorry. Highest is 6. I'll probably take an injury.
1: Uh, so she gets three net net hits on you, so that is 12 damage.
5: I'll take a class 2 injury. Uh, Slow down. I lose another initiative.
1: Okay. You do get slowed down. Your initiative goes down. Roy, the guard, looks over to you, looks at this, kind of a little confused why, like, a posh person is trying to, like, have a side bet with him. And he goes, I reckon the lady.
3: Yeah, sure seems that way, huh?
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Giles, it is your turn. Yeah,
5: I'll take a saboteur. Four hits, high as 13. Her high is a 10. I've got one net hit, or three damage, one piercing.
1: She can take that hit without getting to her first wound modifier, and uh, that would be about where first blood would be at. So she sweeps at your uh, at your waist with speed you were not prepared for, and that puts you on the back foot. You kind of stumble back, uh, and she swings again and again. Uh, she's wielding a large weapon, but she has a level of mus- muscle strength and control that you wouldn't expect possible. Uh, and she continues to press the attack on you, and you go for uh, a stab uh, in a moment where she opens herself up, and you manage to nick the quarter sleeve of her dress, cutting into it, but not quite drawing blood, and you manage to, like, break her attack enough so that she, like, takes a step back, uh, swings around, and then blocks your next attack that would, like, lunge into her leg, and uh, it is her turn again. She's coming at you.
5: to dodge is a nine.
1: Uh, Her highest this time is a five. Uh, So she swings down at you and slices the ground at your feet as you deftly leap backwards out of the way. Uh, And it's your go again.
5: Going to use the hydraulic in my prosthetic leg to leap uh, over her like some kind of a salmon and uh, attempt to stab her in the back.
1: Uh, Her highest is an 11.
5: Uh, Two net hits, 13 and 12. So six with one piercing.
1: All right. You leap behind her. And you take an attack at her back, and she spins around super fast, almost managing to block. But you are just a smidge quicker than her, despite her impressive strength. And you manage to cut at her leg, uh, but the dress she's wearing uh, seems to be armored in some way. And all you do is end up uh, shortening part of the dress, so it's kind of a, a jagged cut just around uh, her shin. Uh, you you split the dress there, and it, and it like flops uh, to the ground and blows away in the wind. Uh, And she spins around uh, frustrated and uh, continues the attack on you. Sorry about that. I can fix it. (laughs) And she frustratedly uh, continues the attack on you, uh, knocking your blade away and and pressing her advantage. The rest of you uh, uh, in the crowd, this is impressive. Uh, She is wielding that blade with immense skill and speed. And Giles is going toe to toe with her. You didn't even know Giles knew how to fight And everyone in the crowd is having a good time. Uh, They're sipping their drinks, laughing. Some people are having side conversations, like the fight's not interesting enough for them yet. Uh, Everyone just seems happy to be there.
2: Giles, shall I cheat for you? Don't worry, it won't be physical.
5: Not just yet, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Uh, Her attack is a nine. Best defense is a six. Uh, That gives her three net hits again on you. So that's another 12 damage. Uh, Yeah,
5: another injury it is. I'm compromised. No reliability.
1: All right. So the compromised injury makes it so all of your uh, tests have one less reliability. So you have less rerolls at your disposal. As she presses the attack, knocking knocking your blade away after you cut part of her dress, slashing up, barely missing you as she does. Um, you push back, and she's got you now on the back uh, on the back foot. And actually, the crowd has to part a little bit as the fight begins moving closer and closer towards the edge of the rooftop. Uh, if she continues in this fashion, you might get knocked down, uh, falling into the racetrack. Uh, so you, that like stress is starting to bear down on you. She is coming at you fervently, and it has compromised your uh, your confidence. Back to you.
5: Uh, I'm going to take a knee for a moment uh, to prevent myself from being pushed back any farther uh, with my left hand on the ground and I'm going to block an overhead strike uh, with the sword and ignite my energy coil as I also covertly release my hand drone from my left arm
1: Okay, um, so go ahead and roll a manipulate test. I think since you're not outright attacking her in this, you're trying to distract her with your blade and this uh, maneuver so that she doesn't notice uh, your hand uh, detached from your arm and begin crawling away. Uh, her high is a six.
5: I'll use the uh, wink and a prayer talent to re-roll this manipulate. High is 11.
1: Yeah. Uh, You guys watch. He's starting to get driven back. Again, no one seems super phased by Giles being in mortal peril as he is driven back towards the edge of the rooftop. And he drops to a knee, raises up his sword. You think for a second he's done and she swings down. Uh, the Just the sheer weight and size of her blade should cut straight through Giles' thin rapier and he presses a button on the handle and you watch as a beam of energy shoots up the center of the blade and then spreads to the edges and he ignites his cane sword's energy coil which makes it have additional power and a significant higher piercing value and sp- Sparks shoot as his blade catches hers and Giles, she grins slightly and you just wink at her and her grin just fades as she just not enjoying that. You're enjoying this. <laughs> Are you sure you want to keep going? And uh, on her turn, she says, absolutely. And she moves her thumb over her hilt, pressing a button on her cross guard, activating her swords energy coil And you watch uh, curving up her blade, this teal beam uh, filling the weapon with uh, supercharged energy and the two swords begin crackling against each other. And she says, like I said, you're not the only brilliant mine, Mr. Farthing. And since she rolled so much better on initiative than you, she actually has two turns left in this combat round. So uh, with her first turn, she will wink back at you and I need you to roll a... Discipline check at a minus two.
5: Uh, one hit at a ten.
1: Unfortunately, she has an eleven. And when she winks at you, you see uh, a glow of golden yellow in her in her other pupil flash as she uses an insight power against you. Uh, Clayton, you feel this waft of energy come from her as she begins to use this insight power against one of your companions. And uh, she has two net hits on you, Giles, as she uses the inflict pain power on you. And your body is racked with artificial yet unbearable pain, enough to give you a minus two to all of your tests. It's like your skin suddenly is like on fire and there's like needles poking you all around. And with her second turn, she will swing back around uh, with her ignited energy blade and try to finally land that hit on you. I got
5: a 12. It's the best I can do.
1: Her highest is a six. Maybe uh, potentially a little bit too confident in surprising you. She swings, and you almost, almost kind of in the like recoil of from the pain you're feeling, uh, swing your arm out and manage to catch her blade and guide it over you uh, to prevent her from uh, from landing that hit. And uh, let's go ahead and roll initiative one more time. How about now? Yeah, yeah, now would be all right. <laughs> Clayton, if you're going to get involved, I'm going to need you to roll an initiative test as well. Uh, She has an initiative of six. Five again. I'm going to play to the gallery. Eight. So as Giles is almost kind of knocked a couple feet to the side, blocking that last strike, sparks flying off of these two uh, ignited energy blades. Giles gives you the okay, Clayton, and it is your turn. What do you do? I
2: use telepathy on... His opponent.
1: Uh, to force a connection between the two of you? Her highest is an eight.
2: Mine is a nine. Uh,
1: how many net hits is that? Just one. Well, you're able to get the connection with her uh, despite, uh, you feel like some resistance from her, like kind of this uh, this mental r- barrier, uh, but you push your way through it and she can, uh, you can now communicate with her telepathically.
2: I'm in your head now. <laughs> <laughs> This is the song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend.
1: (laughs) Okay, first off, Clayton, take a grit because that's ingenious. Uh, uh, And then uh, I need you to go ahead and roll uh, manipulate test to try and distract her. You have a plus two because of the mental link. It's not like she can plug her ears or anything. Uh, And then you can have an additional plus two because you completely surprised her with this. She wasn't expecting to hear a voice in her head, let alone your voice, which leads me to the other plus two you're going to get because she doesn't know who you are and she doesn't know whose voice she's hearing right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to make my own luck on this. I'm gonna make some more luck.
1: Well, uh, she rolled four dice, and it came up three threes and a two.
2: My highest is a three. That goes to <laughs> the attacker.
1: Um, so, how many net hits is that?
2: That is one net hit.
1: She knocks Giles away and looks like she's going to keep pressing the attack. And then you you start singing in her head uh, an extremely annoying song and you see her step falter and she looks back towards the crowd trying to spot who she's hearing. And that gives Giles a second to like regain himself before she kind of snaps to and like regains her focus and and turns back towards uh, towards Giles. And uh, she is going to attack you one more time, Giles. Uh, though she is definitely not attacking you with the same focused fervor she had before. She is clearly being distracted right now.
5: I have an eight to defend.
1: Uh, well, she has a seven to attack, so you managed to block that blow, and it is your turn. Uh, I'm going to
5: feint a little bit and use uh, the rollerblade in my left far leg to swing around to her side a little more than she might expect and come in with the, uh, with the energy coil blade. High 12.
1: Her high is a 10.
5: One hit, uh, which is now five damage and five piercing. Uh,
1: And so while she's kind of faltered slightly by the voice in her head, you make this quick maneuver utilizing your cybernetic skate to swing around her. And with the additional uh, piercing of your energy coil blade, you are able to slide the blade uh, up. Where her guard is weak, and get a nice, good cut along uh, along her rib cage, uh, and blood uh, uh, spurts out, uh, staining her otherwise white, pristine dress.
2: Looks like you lost. That sucks. <laughs> Later, loser. And I drop the telepathy
5: link. <laughs> I bow politely and sheath my sword.
1: Uh, she turns, kind of grabbing her side. Uh, holding the blade like she wants to keep swinging at you and uh everyone begins like clapping like oh giles giles good good show giles good show and uh she goes no and uh holding her wound with one hand she curves her blade up to slash down at you still why? why don't we call it a draw
5: and i gesture to my hand drone holding a shaven knife to her neck <laughs>
1: And as her as her blade uh, is like on the way down, the cold steel of your uh, shaving knife presses to her throat and uh, uh, kind of hooked in the thumb of your hand, which is standing on the middle finger and the ring finger on her shoulder. And uh, and the feel of the blade on her throat makes her stop mid swing. Uh, Again, you see as the blade one handed this time stops instantly. Uh, It is obvious she is enhancing her her strength with her luminescent power. And then she grits her teeth and everyone's like, Oh, Oh, good show. Good show. Giles. Good show. <laughs> oh, excellent. Oh, that was such fun. Yes, yes, yes. And everyone's just like having fun. Some people are already starting to disperse being like, Oh, the duel's over. That was great. Uh, people are clapping. Everyone's very happy. Uh, they, they were very entertained. Oh,
5: bow and walk over to her and hold her hand in the air. She
1: will turn off the, uh, energy coil on her sword, letting it drop down. It kind of stabs into the, uh, uh, into the grass and, uh, you raise her hand and she kind of like deflates slightly
5: Uh, was that an unorthodox use of hand drones
1: yes (laughs) it's xp for everybody she kind of deflates the uh militia sergeant uh kind of walks up uh, and says ma'am she goes no he won i'm not pressing charges he and his friends can go the whole point was this blasted duel
5: you did well and you run a good derby your other talents are also impressive
1: yeah, uh, you take a glance when you say that at her uh, her energy coil falchion. It is very impressive handiwork. She, she like, sits there for a second, stands up straight, nods and goes, Well then, I suppose I'll have to reconfigure this and see if next time we cross blades, I'll have a better advantage, she says, looking at your hand as it reattaches to your wrist. Aye, but I won't let you take the rug out from under me. <laughs> that... Gets a grin out of her and and she goes, I see what it is. Charm. That's what you have over me, Mr. Farthing. Nothing more. Just a clever tongue. I can learn to best that. Okay, thanks, bye. (laughs) (laughs) And Giles, with a little pep in his step, turns and hooks his his cane under his uh, armpit and begins walking towards the rest of you.
2: Good show.
5: Thank you, Mr. Sawyer. You as well, I presume.
2: I might have helped a little bit. Nothing too fancy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
5: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's
2: see about getting you in your spares. That sounds like a plane to me
3: just before we uh we leave the the site of the militia captain, just like for a second, I know we're about to be out of sight, and there's nothing nothing they can do. I will very quickly just pop off that digit disguise and wink and click it back on. <laughs> And it's a different <laughs> face now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, definitely, he definitely is startled uh, by it. And you're not sure if he fully recognized uh, your face from the bounties or if he was just shocked to see a new face. It will probably take him a little bit too long to put it together, uh, to put it together and realize just what he saw. And uh, you guys get down to the ground level and you're getting ready to go. Uh, two militiamen run up behind us. Uh, uh, Mr. Farthing. Farthing. Mr. Farthing. And you turn and you see two militia men uh, running up and they're they're holding your rug. And they're like, sir, you forgot you forgot what you came for. Oh, right. They they hand it out to you. And uh, Clayton and Juliet, you see what Roy learned earlier, which is all of this. Everything that you've just gone through with Mr. Giles Farthing has been so that he could recover a stolen rug.
5: Could you carry it a little further, boys? We've got an IHA at back.
1: They look at each other. And then one of them, like, kind of, like, nods and says, as you wish. When they
5: make it there, I'll give them a pat on the back.
1: (laughs) So what you're telling me is that the
0: property that was stolen from you is is this decoration?
5: Pragmatically, yes. But uh, my pride is also worth quite a bit to me. Understandable.
0: All right.
1: (laughs) And just as you guys are about to leave, uh, Juliet, you kind of stick your hand in in one of your pockets, feeling like a lump in there. And you pull out and there's a receipt for a 30-spur a reward for a mid-race bet on Coach Scorpion. Uh, Hold up, fellas.
0: Oh, it's a winning ticket. Did you place another bet? I did not.
1: <laughs> last call for betting. Uh, last call for betting. Races are over for the day. Yeah, Burger you know, Turner you don't in. turn
3: that ticket in. They ain't going to pay it out tomorrow.
0: Okay. That's weird i guess i guess it's just our good luck we'll just uh take 10 each
2: i'm all right with that i ain't got
3: much use for spurs in the near future i reckon they's just gonna take them maybe you should take just 15 each if you're keen on splitting it all right i'm okay with that yeah i'm sure you are clean <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh you guys walk down the stairs the uh sun is as lower in the uh, in the sky it's later afternoon the afternoon races are over addington downs is shutting down for the day clayton you look over and you see a, a couple um militia men, um around sugar who does not seem to trust them at all and is like snorting at them and like pawing at the ground and looking angrily uh it's not just the two with the rug there it looks like there may have been a couple more who were trying to like uh suss out why this ace was uh hitched up outside the racetrack uh, but none of them have been able to get close uh close enough yet
2: i'll turn my face off easy there girl and uh walk over there i tell them to get back and i'll take the rug and put it on sugar uh
1: she snorts at the militiamen and uh nuzzles up against you and one of them goes that their beast is a bit of a menace ain't she i I suggest you go ahead and unhitch her and move along sir uh we don't want no trouble
2: well then leave her alone she ain't hurting nothing you're the ones all surrounding her. No wonder she's uncomfortable. Poor baby.
1: And they watch shocked as you kind of like scratch behind her ear and she's like a completely different animal. Well, go on. Get out of here. <laughs> with a, with the new face on, one of the guys who was, uh, one of the militiamen who was uh, carrying a rug, turns to uh, Giles and goes, is he with you, Mr. Farthen? I thought he is. He lets out a sigh and goes, all right, come on, guys, let's go. And they all kind of like, Move on down the street. A couple of them get back in their car and drive off. Excuse me, gentlemen. Yes. Good job. Thank you. And then uh, another one goes, fucking wealthy man. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the four of you stand outside uh, Addington Downs with Giles Farthing's rug successfully returned to him.
2: <laughs> All right, Mr. Farthing, shall we conduct the rest of our business before
5: we part ways? Absolutely. I owe you that much at least.
1: Yeah, you're able to pop in the bank and uh, and pull uh, uh, the requisite amount of spurs needed to replenish your inventory to 400 uh, so that you may pay uh, Clayton his promised fee.
5: I appreciate your help. And if you ever need any help in the future, you'll let me know.
2: I'll keep that in mind.
5: And I reach out to shake his hand. I shake it with my human hand.
1: Uh, The bank is also located nearby the LRC Tower, uh, should anyone want to check any messages or anything.
0: I'll always take the opportunity to uh, check a message. I did
5: give Pepe your information. Hopefully he gets back to you soon. He told me he was working on it.
1: And checking uh, her messages, she does have one, and it is, in fact, from Pepe Dantoro. It's simply an address. An address? Uh, It says, The Warehouse on East 88th Street, Liberty City.
0: I uh, find a card or a scrap of paper and, and note that down and kind of stuff it in my my, my pocket. I also remove this
1: goddamn hat, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> Tosses it right in the trash. Ah,
2: oh, shame. It did look good on you. Did you get what you needed, Juliet?
0: I did. Looks like I have a destination uh, in Liberty City. So first bit of information that maybe he's still around
2: well you're needing some help i could uh always provide my services of being the outdoors type and another gun never hurts
0: i appreciate that clayton uh i could not say no
2: well looks like we'll be business partners for a little bit more Then, now about roy roy yeah i think we need to turn you in but before i do that i have to get sugar ready and it might take a little bit so don't you run off on your bike over here with all your stuff on it that's a weird way to phrase that clayton well i have to put it all in one spot all of it's there so i can take care of it after i turn you in no i i see i i know what you're doing now i'm gonna go get <laughs> sugar ready And it's going to require most of my attention. Oh No, I
1: I understand, Clayton.
2: I'm going to go do that right now. Okay. Don't you go nowhere. I got it.
1: You guys watch as Clayton walks over and basically stares at Sugar. Sugar (laughs) stares back and kind of pets her nose a little bit. She licks his palm. He stands there for a little while longer. It looks like he's counting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to take this time alone with Roy, very very alone, definitely not 5 feet away from Clayton to to chat really quick. Um he means well and it it ain't the wrong intention. Roy.
3: Oh no, I I understand and appreciate what Clayton is doing, but I I can honestly swear I have learned the error of my ways and wish to pay my debt to society.
0: I am a hundred percent gonna fact check that one,
1: <laughs> uh, Juliet. You have playing the player, so uh, Roy, you can roll manipulate against Juliet. Man,
2: she's being real stubborn. This might take even longer than normal.
1: I've
0: a I've a ten, but it could be an eleven.
2: Well, I do just sort
3: of eke by with this one thirteen.
1: So you're you're pretty sure absolutely Juliet that this is what he wants you you think he's laying it on he's intentionally laying it on super thick but like he definitely wants to be turned in and maybe just maybe even though he's being a little smarmy about it maybe he's actually telling the truth about also wanting to turn over a new leaf even if it does seem like there's something definitely absolutely off about this
2: well, I'm done and you're still here. <laughs> Fine. We'll turn you in, Roy. Thank you, Clayton. I feel it's the only
3: way I can truly begin to to bring some justice to those that I've wronged in this
2: city.
1: Clayton believes you wholeheartedly at this point. Uh, he just feels sad that you didn't catch his very clever hint. <laughs>
2: Shall I head over to the
1: sheriff's office then?
5: I'll walk with him to the sheriff's office say goodbyes with everyone. And then, yeah, I've got to get this beauty home to in Harbor.
1: Uh, so, yeah, Giles walks with you just a little bit longer. And then outside the sheriff's office, uh, you guys can say your goodbyes as he's going to continue on to the Glenspire train station.
0: Mr. Farthing, it has been an experience. <laughs> I reach out my hand to, to, shake, to shake yours.
5: I take her hand and hug her a little bit. Miss Hunt, I hope you find what you're looking for.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And I hope that rug really does tie together a whole room.
2: Oh, you should see it.
0: Maybe one day.
2: <laughs> if you ever need anybody hunted
5: down, you know who to call.
0: That I do, and if you ever need a good chunk of land
5: to settle down on, eh, my estate might have a lead for you. That sounds lovely.
3: Well, Mr. Farthen, it has certainly been an experience in which you've, I like, look around and realize they're both watching me, you know. I'll just like, Overcome with emotion, lean in for a big hug, and I'll, I'll whisper into Mr. Farthen's ear, it has certainly been an experience in which you've reaffirmed my faith in Robin rich folk.
5: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Roy, I don't blame you in the least. Uh, and uh, as I uh, free myself from the hug, I'll pat him on the chest, right on the digi disguise, with uh, a knowing wink.
3: I just smile back at him, that winning Roy Hampton smile.
1: <laughs> and yep. Giles Farthing, uh, rug slung over his shoulder, um, begins walking towards the train station. And uh, the three of you stand in uh, in front of the sheriff's office. The city's sheriff's office uh, is actually more like offices. It's about a a nine-story tall building uh, with multiple floors to house uh, marshals, deputies, and even uh, store some militia-grade weaponry. Uh, should the need arise for the marshals to be heavily armed.
2: Well, Roy, you ready? Yeah, I suppose it's time. And uh, we walk into the sheriff's office. and
1: A man at the desk uh, looks up, and uh, he's kind of a portly man wearing a a sheriff's office uniform, Uh, raises an eyebrow at the three of you walking in, and he goes, how can I help you?
2: I'm here to turn in the bounty for legendary outlaw Roy Hampton.
1: He sits there and looks at Roy for a second and then, uh, uh, messes with a terminal on his desk and goes, I'll be damned. We never thought that one was going to be paid out. He skipped town a while back. Shouldn't he be in shackles? Long story. All right, then. That's definitely him. I, right. and he kind of whistles and, uh, uh, a deputy comes out. This here's, uh, Roy Hampton. How about you, uh, acquaint him with the premises? And, uh, the deputy goes, right away, sir. My pleasure. And he comes up and pulls out uh, handcuffs to uh, to cuff you up, Roy.
3: I'll uh, present my wrists and I'll I'll just put on my most sympathetic face and I'll ask him, "Can I can I just say goodbye to these fine folks before you take me to jail, sir?"
1: <laughs> the deputy shrugs and goes, "All right, I'll be over there. Don't you try running away.
3: Don't you worry. I fully plan to come with you after I say goodbye."
1: He nods, Uh and then uh he does take your bow off your back and, like, kind of your, your belt uh with all your, like, pouches and ammo and everything. He kind of, like, pulls that off of you uh quickly. He leaves the quiver just because it's inconvenient to remove that. Kind of holds that and walks over and stands by a little side door waiting for you to come over.
3: I'll turn to Juliet. Miss Hunt, it has certainly been a pleasure traveling with you. I do hope you find your husband. I can't imagine what's going to happen to the O'Malley family if you don't. And, uh... When I get out of here, I promise. You need anything, you call on me, and I'll come.
0: I appreciate that, Mr. Hampton. You do okay. Keep your head down, and and you'll be out soon.
3: Uh, Well, I I thank you for that advice, and I'll lean in for, you know. I've gotten pretty good at hugging folks while in handcuffs, so, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will oblige the hug since he is going into indentured servitude for an undisclosed amount of time. (laughs)
3: And I'll I'll turn over to Clayton Clayton It has certainly been an adventure Really? And I put my hand out to shake I shake his hand And I pull him into a big hug And I whisper to Clayton I nabbed 90 spurs from the safe deposit box In Miss Cornfoot's vault If you reach into the pocket in my left jacket You'll find them all there (laughs) I do so (laughs) (laughs) all right fellas take me away
1: uh deputy comes up and guides you into a side room and uh juliet and clayton you get one last glimpse of legendary outlaw roy hampton before he is incarcerated and the uh the guy at the desk goes y'all not from around here are you you gotta go up to the to the sixth floor that's where they pay out the bounties Thank you. Yeah, and you're gonna have to fill out this form here too. And he slaps a a, a, a clipboard on the desk. All right, I uh, fill it out. So you uh, you start filling it out, and he's like, "Well, don't fill it out here. Take it upstairs. You're turning in up there. God damn, is this your first time p- turning in a bounty?
2: Here, I ain't seen so much damn paperwork for a bounty. You got his picture right there.
1: <laughs> don't you backtalk me, boy." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, I take the paperwork up to the sixth floor.
1: All right. Uh, you guys get in an elevator, uh, which takes you to the sixth floor and you kind of have to wait in line for a good 30, 45 minutes. It's like, uh, you know, you fill out the paperwork, you turn it in, they say, have a seat. We'll, we'll call your name up when your bounty is ready to be, uh, pulled. And, uh, Clayton and Juliet, you guys are just kind of awkwardly sitting there for like 45 minutes to an hour waiting for this bounty to be paid. This is terrible.
2: This ain't the normal way. i never seen it take this damn long.
0: Do you want to play I spy or
2: something? <laughs> uh, I spy something blinking.
0: Is it that light over there? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Roy, you are stripped of all your possessions, put into a, a jumper. Uh, and they are going to start bringing you to processing and uh there's one point where one of the deputies is patting you down after you've put on uh the jumper uh and be and been handcuffed a second time and uh, as he's patting you down, he leans in uh and he says, "The family's really looking forward to you serving your time Hampton. Oh, I can't wait and uh he steps back and uh uh turns to uh another deputy and says, "All right." He's clean.
3: I would like to spend four grit to flashback.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, what are you establishing with your flashback? How did you retroactively prepare for this exact situation?
3: Well, see, this ain't the first time I've been arrested and brought to this jail. When I was first starting out, I weren't as good at getting away as I am now. And so uh, I met one of the fellers who guards the holding cells, just a real nice man. A little bit on the gullible side. His name's Jerry, <laughs> and uh, me and me and Jerry set up an agreement wherein uh, he he understood my situation. I was just I just only ever stealing to survive, and it were just morally wrong to incarcerate a man trying to feed himself out on the streets. And so he he knows for sure if I ever show up here again, that's the only reason I ever done a crime.
1: Okay, uh, this uh, this flashback will require a roll. Uh, to establish how effective your uh, relationship is with Jerry. Uh, So go ahead and roll a manipulate test.
3: Now, do I get any bonuses for, in this scene, being a scared,
1: crying little kid? (laughs) Uh, You can utilize your dress to impress uh, talent, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry's high is a three.
3: (laughs) Well, see, here's the thing. I can't count this 15, but I did
1: roll three fours. <laughs> <laughs> so that's three net hits.
3: That is correct.
1: Yeah. Uh, this, uh, this, uh, obviously family paid, uh, deputy finishes patting you down and says, all right, he's clean. And Jerry says, all right, I'll take care of processing. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, uh, Juliet and Clayton, you finally get your pay. Uh, They call you up. uh, Sawyer? Mr. Sawyer?
2: Here. I'm coming. Uh,
1: And they have you uh, sign a paper to indicate that you received the bounty.
2: I sign it after
1: receiving the bounty. And then they say, all right, Lodge, Mr. Lodge, come and collect your bounty. And Clayton, you have 800 spurs in hand, and uh, what do you and Juliet do? Well,
2: we get onto the elevator, and the door's close. and I hand her 400 spurs.
0: I'll hand him back um, 200. Take it as a down payment for uh, coming with on this uh, extra little excursion with me.
1: I think that's a fair deal. And the elevator doors slide open, and the lobby of the sheriff's office is... Much more active than it was when you last saw it, like an hour ago. People are darting all around. Someone's uh, uh, shouting, "Well, get a patrol going! Get a patrol going!" What the hell are you talking about? And uh, as you guys are kind of like making your way, a little confused, the sheriff himself is shouting at a deputy. Uh, he's a large man. He's got a a big beer gut. He's got food bits in his in his uh, in his goatee. And uh, kind of a uh, he's he's got thinning hair that he's kind of like trying to comb over, and it's not going very well. Now he looks like a uh, you know a man who eats very well for his station. <laughs> and he says, "Now, how the hell did you let a high priority bounty escape in the middle of the goddamned processing facility? Did you even screen them before you took them into processing?" And the deputy's like, "Yes, sir. We we stripped them of all possessions. I swear." What, and then he just magically slipped out from under the nose of the entire sheriff's department, unarmed, and in shackles? Is that what you're telling me, deputy? And he goes, well, uh, sir, that's that's the thing. See, first thing he did after slipping out the bonds was go back for his personal effects. Well, hold on, you're telling me he got into the evidence locker? What the Sam hell were you doing? He didn't just get into your evidence locker, sir. And the sheriff goes red in the in the ears and the cheeks and he goes where else did he get to well sheriff he took your medal of honor and the sheriff <laughs> sits there kind of trying to form words but not being able to he's so livid and mad and he goes you're telling me Roarhampton hampton broke into my private office and stole my medal of marshall he says to the guy behind the desk uh, yes sheriff Raise that bounty up to 1500,. Let's find this son of a bitch.
2: <laughs> I nudge Juliet. huh? We can get even more next time.) <laughs>
0: <laughs> right now you're on the job, Clayton. Let, let's go.
1: <laughs> and the two of you step out of the sheriff's office. Uh, they're deputies climbing on motorcycles and horses and cars. Uh, they're trying to set up a, a perimeter. Uh and the two of you uh start walking to the train station?
0: I guess if I thought we were leaving, maybe I've, I've put Sadie there already. Um, maybe as like a hitcher there or do I have Sadie with me?
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. You could have you could have as you got into Glen Spire, you could have easily uh stabled Sadie nearby this the train station. So you swing by the stables, you retrieve Sadie. It costs you fifteen spurs to stable her there. <laughs> Uh, all right. And you guys walk up the stairs into the train station and go to uh, purchase a ticket. Uh, you have enough money now to afford. Uh, you could actually afford second class tickets if you really wanted.
0: H- how much? Uh, I guess I'll ask uh, how much this second class tickets
1: are. As you get to the teller, uh, she looks up at you and goes, I- I'm sorry, miss. But by chance, are you Juliet Hunt and Clayton Sawyer? Uh Yes. Yes, I am. Oh, all right. I I thought that man was off his medication. Uh, a strange fella came through here with a couple chrome limbs, toting a a rug over uh, over his shoulder. Uh, he he told me you'd be around here and 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 to give you uh to give you these. And she sets uh, uh two first class tickets to Liberty City uh on the counter. Oh, Giles. Uh, thank
0: thank you for uh holding them for us. Uh. He he is a little eccentric. <laughs> uh
1: yeah, I I ain't never seen someone uh uh, uh put tickets on uh, first class tickets on hold. Most people uh, uh guard them things with their laugh.
0: I can understand why. Um so do we just we just walk on the train in the front then?
1: She like looks a little confused. Yes, that is how it works.
0: Okay. Uh uh we have we have animals. Uh can they
1: can you take care of them for us? Yeah, no, that's, that's what we do around here. We'll, we'll, we'll take them as a, that horse and that, well, hell, is that Notch? I ain't never seen one of them. Uh, it is, in fact.
2: Her name's Sugar.
1: All right, well, I'll have a, I'll have a couple porters, uh, uh, put them in the, in the cargo. As is standard operating procedure, Miss Hunt.
0: Thank you. And I walk over to the first class entrance to the train.
2: (laughs) So does Clayton.
1: The militiaman lets you on, and you two have your own private cabin in the first-class car of this train. The accommodations are what you would describe as a pleasant hotel room. It has a couple beds, it has its own sink, a little, uh, a little private bathroom, and uh, there's actually, uh, there's actually a, a, a small food tray laid on the, on the counter with some food for you uh, to begin your journey.
2: Is that shrimp? (laughs) Shall we? Uh,
0: I think it might be rude not to, right?
1: Oh, of course.
0: Dibs on those pretzels.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As you guys begin to eat, um, it is a, you know, about a 15 or 16 hour train ride from, uh, um, Glenspire to Liberty City. While there you can, uh, you have full run of the train, which is something you didn't have before. Uh, And you can uh, go back into the restaurant car where there is uh, just like five star meals being served. Uh, You can go into the saloon where they uh, have a wide selection of drinks and cocktails and beer, um, though the prices are, you note, pretty spiked for a lot of this. And then, uh, you know, if you wanted to, you could go into the second-class car or the third-class car. Um, you basically have the run of all the passenger cars. And even while you're in your room, uh, they come and offer to, to take your order from the restaurant. Uh, you actually get, in first class, you get a, um, a meal included during the ride. It's incredibly pleasant, and you guys actually have some time to talk before you roll into Liberty City.
2: So is there anything other than oh that's good other than the address uh
0: it does not and honestly I don't know what to find there it could be it could be O'Malley's it, it could be something else it you know hopefully it's Cyrus um it could just be a clue I don't really know but it ain't exactly clear I have a picture of Cyrus so you don't shoot him
2: yeah let me see it
0: it's from when he was younger, so it's he's toned it down a, a little tiny bit, but not much. And I had to take out like a little cameo and show it to, show it to him. Uh,
1: you see a uh, a man uh, probably in his his forties in this picture. Uh, he's got a green mohawk, tattoos on his sh- on his bare shoulders and neck, and he is wearing a uh, vest with no undershirt.
2: Oddly dressed and odd air haircut, but handsome fella.
0: He wouldn't say so, but uh, obliged.
2: Well, obviously, you think so.
0: There's something to him. But in all honesty, Clayton, I I, I don't know what to expect. And also, I, I, if we're going the indirect route, I can't really be seen uh, in Liberty City or Freedom City or really just by an O'Malley in general. So I'm going to try and keep as low profile as possible, which might mean you have to do a little bit of talking if if there's some talking needing to be done so I don't have to just up and shoot everybody. (laughs) I mean, if I have to up and shoot everybody, I will. But uh, some people just are in the wrong place at the wrong
1: time.
2: Well, let's avoid that at first and slide over one of the Digi disguises.
1: Yeah, and it occurs to you for a second, you don't know where the other one is. You don't know if you ever took it from Roy.
0: <laughs> oh, good, good thought. And I'll put it on in, in the next, once we leave the train or as we're leaving the train, if there's like a female conductor or something like that, somebody that's definitely moving on, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, set that up.
1: Okay. The, the train ride is much, much more pleasant in pretty much every way conceivable than the last train ride you were on. <laughs> you get plenty of sleep. As much sleep as you can get in your worried state, Juliet, you're able to have a very nice complimentary meal, and uh, you know you can stretch out your legs, and and even if you would like, you can go into the observation deck, uh, which is a miraculous uh, uh, experience because um, the floors, ceiling, and walls for most of the duration of the train transition to be uh, to mimic as if they were transparent. Um, it's they're actually just all inlaid with uh, uh, holographic imagery, um, but they're able to replicate the terrain around. So people who sit in the observation car can kind of sit down and have the experience of like sitting in a chair, zooming through the landscape with no uh, train or anything around them. It edits out the train. It edits out the pylons that keep the train afloat. Uh, When you're in the observation deck and the doors are closed, it's like you're flying through, uh, flying across Manifest at 250 miles an hour.
0: Uh, so I will watch the garden go by for a while. Um, after, uh, I get the amount of sleep that my, my mind will let me get and eating some and taking a bath and sort of all the, all the things to do to relax and, and not have it really work. I will go and watch the garden roll by.
2: I try to sleep on one of the beds and it's just not as comfy as I'd hoped it'd be. And, uh, I get up and make my way towards the cargo where the animals are and I find sugar and manage to sneak through and I cuddle up with sugar and sleep soundly.
1: Yeah, you're illuminated. You can pull it off. Uh, (laughs) And um, Juliet in the observation car, as the train is, uh, as the journey is coming close to an end, uh, you see the sun uh, rising On the horizon and it in the distance, the direction you are heading, uh, you see fast approaching the mountainside factory town known as Liberty City. Uh, It sits nuzzled up against a a singular mountain in the garden, uh, bordering the mountain and uh, also bordering the large lake that connects it to the city on the other side of the mountain, which is Freedom City. And uh, as you approach Liberty City, it is another marvel of uh, old world technology, uh, gouting a little less factory fumes than Glen Spire did, but still a decent amount. Uh, and some of the buildings in Liberty City are far taller than that of uh, San Cordero or Glenspire. Um, it seems to have a lot more tall skyscrapers, as you might call them. Uh, just a handful of them. And as the train docks in the station... Uh, you two can exit with no problem and collect Sadie and Sugar. And where do you head to?
0: I suppose for all we know, this is just a clue. The best that Pepe could do for us. So I guess we at least go check it out and see, do some reconnaissance. If, if There's no sense setting up a base here if uh, if there ain't a reason to stay.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Well, let's make our way.
1: And you uh, continue on your way. Juliet, you're able to change your face with the Digi-Disguise. And uh, you begin the journey across the city to the warehouse on East 88th Street. Uh, It'll take you a little bit of time to get there. Uh, You arrived uh, early in the morning. It's getting closer to noon as you... uh, as you finally uh, get nearby and can get eyes on the location, it's a uh, it's in a, a relatively quiet part of town. Seems like it's a lot of warehouses and automated factories. It's not too far from the docks. There's still uh, at this point in the day plenty of traffic going up and down the primary road you're using to get there. But then you do have to kind of go down a side street for a little while to get eyes on this warehouse. And one thing you notice, Juliet, uh, as you're as you're getting closer to the warehouse, um, is. Uh, It's got like a little uh, a lot around it. Uh, it Looks like the fence to this warehouse has been opened up, and um, there is a vehicle parked in the lot. And you recognize that vehicle,
0: Clayton. I like literally put my hand out and like on Clayton's chest to stop him. (laughs) Clayton, that's that's my my van, my Cyrus, my my Cyrus's
1: van. It's a bit dirty. It doesn't look like it's seen uh, much action lately, Uh, and there's actually a a pretty uh, weather-soaked tarp on the side of it, like it's just recently been uncovered. It's parked right up against the side of the warehouse with a bunch of other like junk and uh, and crates and so on, Uh, though it is, in fact, Cyrus's van. It has that chipping, aged, uh, kind of off-white paint job on the top of a little side panel window, which is closed right now, it says doc Cyrus's traveling tonic emporium along the top. Uh, and on the folded up cover on that little side window, that kind of drops down to create a, a, a countertop. You see, you can kind of see through, uh, through the chipped paint where you made Cyrus paint over the, the rendition of his face, smiling and winking. <laughs> and the final thing you notice is, uh, that the back doors to the van are open and there might be some movement inside.
0: I guess I'm going to get down from Sadie and try to approach the van as quickly and quietly as possible because if that ain't Cyrus, I need to talk to him. And um, while I'm moving, I will load shock ammo into my guns.
2: Wait, I put my hand on her arm and I use lithe on both of us just in case.
1: All right, using your newly acquired transfer power talent, you can use your somatic powers not only on yourself, but also on someone you are touching. Uh, So that will require two somatic rolls, one for Juliet and one for yourself.
2: Juliet, you get plus three to your finesse skills for a long period of time. I got three successes. I got four successes for myself. What the?
1: Oh, Oh my. Yeah. Uh, you see as uh, as he's touching you, his eyes kind of flash and that yellow uh, storm of luminescent energy uh, courses through his veins, shocking and lighting up around his body. And you watch as it transfers and it goes into your arm and now your veins have that energy flowing through you and you feel it. You feel this warmth spreading around you like like as if you're dipping into a warm bath, but inside your body. Uh, And it moves all around and then like kind of becomes the norm. Your body acclimates to it and everything. You're just a little more aware of everything your body is doing. Your, your hands uh, respond more quickly than they, than you think they should almost as if they know what you're going to uh, think to do before you think to do it. It's like if you were to run on instinct, you could do the things you've seen Clayton do.
2: It's a little trick I learned.
0: It's a pretty good trick. (laughs)
2: I <laughs> uh, take Q from her, load up my shock ammo as well.
1: And the two of you begin stealthily approaching Cyrus's van? Yes. Yes. I need you both to roll a sneak check for me.
0: I have a 14 high.
2: 15.
1: Well, the person you're sneaking up on got a 13.
0: Uh, I have two successes.
2: Uh, Two successes.
1: Uh, So the two of you, enhanced by Clayton's luminescent power, sneak up onto the back of this van, and the first thing you notice, Juliet, is that ain't Cyrus. The person who's rummaging around in the back of the van is just flat out too large to be Cyrus. And as you're getting a little bit closer, you're a little bit confused to see that the person rummaging around inside is wearing a slate gray trench coat with the pattern of a golden triangle centered on the back. Uh, and within that triangle, there is a, a sort of golden um, T-shaped figure, uh, which you recognize immediately uh, as being the uniform of a triptych preacher. Uh, the triptych religion being the most prominent religion on Manifest and the uh, and the religion behind the creation of the multi-denominational churches you see all around Manifest. And this triptych preacher, who seems completely unaware of the fact that you guys are closing in on him... Rummages around, finally seems to stop like struggling and opens a panel uh, on the floor of the van, lets out a sigh of relief, reaches down and pulls out what you recognize, Juliet, as your gun case that houses your mentor's old guns, your best irons. And the uh, figure puts the case under his arm and looks like he's about to exit the van.
0: Now, Padre, I ain't one to typically unload my weapon at a religious leader, but uh, if you don't put that gun case down and turn around, oh, so very slowly, I will, in fact, end you. And that's where we'll end our session. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton, all rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifesttherpg.com.